Hi everyone, this is Coach Tate and welcome to the Life Insider Show where we dive deep into the hate and hearts of highly successful people to discover how they get to where they are today so that you can learn and shortcut your way to success and fulfillment, whatever that means for you. If you haven't, please subscribe to the Life Insider Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or our YouTube channel to get notified as soon as we drop new episodes every two weeks. Now, our guest today is a superwoman. Well, I think uh, superwoman is an understatement. You will know why later. She's a multiple award winner, which includes Asia Top Sustainability Women of the Year Award, the USA Steve Awards for Women in Business, Exceptional Women of Excellence Award by the Women Economic Forum, as well as most recently, Australian Community Citizen of the Year. She is the first PhD researcher in Asia Pacific to specialize in e-commerce, which brings with her many, many years of experience working with diverse group of people and businesses. Up to date, she has assisted over 200 companies and has advised organizations such as Yahoo, Sun Microsystems, American Express, and Apple. And most importantly, one thing that I love the most about her is on top of her work in businesses, she has spent a lot of time and resources contributing and serving a nonprofit board across the world, uh, for example, the international mentor for Sherry Blair's Foundation for Women, the global ambassadors of the Inspiring Rare Birds, and the ambassador for the Rallying Children Initiative. She is also a strong advocate for women and youth empowerment and is an active contributor in promoting the UN, the UN, UN Sustainable Development Goals in the business sectors. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Sandy Chong. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, it, it's, it's really a pleasure for me to host you because th when I met you for the first time last year uh, and seeing you on stage and seeing the kind of work that you do, it's, it's really inspiring. And it really just kind of, you know, inspired me and, and made me ask myself like, wow, if she can do so much, I can do a lot more. But, but that's not the point of this, this show. Uh, I think it's really inspiring because you have done so much work and I think you have a lot to share with our audience and our listeners today. And sure. before I go into the details, why not you share a little bit with us, you know, what are you doing right now? And tell us a bit more mm -hmm. about your journey, uh, getting to where you are right now. Well, um, I'm currently working from home, as you can see. <laughs> uh, I run my own consultancy firm in Singapore and we help companies to grow internationally. And so I founded the organization or the company in 2005. And in 2009, we went to Singapore and opened an office there. And so uh, it has been a uh, more than 10 years journey and uh, we've learned a lot. But um, what my passion really is, is to bring businesses into the space of nonprofit, corporate social responsibility and sustainability. So I spend 70% of my time doing nonprofit work and I'm yeah, serving as a president of the United Nations Association of Western Australia here. And uh, we're really big on advocacy and educating the wider public on why it is so important to achieve these goals. Wow, beautiful. And, and you mentioned that you spent 70% of your time working on nonprofits. Now, I, I, I actually think a lot of people would love to be able to do that, right? But obviously, it, you, you are able to do that because you probably have built over the years, you know, your, your, your career or, you know, over the, like your experiences over the year that allows you to do that. 
why don't you share a little bit with us your personal career experience, I don't know, in the past 10, 20 years or so that gets you to where you are right now? Okay, um, I did a PhD in e-commerce back in 1999, four years after the launch or the arrival of the internet. So I spent another three years uh, finishing my PhD. I was on scholarship, so I needed to finish it fast. And even at that time, I wasn't sure if I was going to be employed. Um, I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be rewarding, mainly because around that time, a lot of my classmates have already started buying houses and cars. Wow. And there I was uh, still eating, you know, <laughs> uh, the minimal uh, working while finishing my studies. So I, I, w I was not the only one. I had other uh, classmates were doubting whether they were going to be employable after the PhD. And so after I finished my studies, I was able to teach at the university. So I got a tenure at the university in two years and basically was uh, very passionate about teaching, very passionate about research and I did a lot of collaboration work with uh, people in the States, in Austria, in Germany and also in Singapore. So I did a cross-country study between Singapore SMEs and Australian SMEs and we duplicated studies overseas. And then further down the road I was very curious about corporate social responsibility back in 2005 and so I did a lot of collaboration with researchers overseas. And um, in 2009, near the height of the global economic crisis, my father had a stroke. Well, I wanted to be near him, which is why I decided to go back to Singapore. And I started my practice there and um, the rest is history. Uh, it wasn't that uh, easy because it was during the height of the global economic crisis. But I was very glad I took the risk. And... Um, I gave myself nine months and three months I cracked into the market. And at that time, people were not wanting to spend a lot of money on consultancy, very much like the situation that we have now. So there was a lot of um, capacity building, a lot of training requirements. And so that's how it got started. I worked closely with the Singapore government in developing these export development program. And we were accredited and took care of and still taking care of clients in Singapore or clients who are based in Singapore who wanted to grow internationally and so that was the journey and um, about four years five years ago I decided to do more for the community I've always been very passionate about mentoring and um, I thought um, I'll scale up my um, my skill set and also my uh, my passion by you know working as a uh, executive committee member for the local association and before that I was doing fundraising for the UN women um, and uh, yeah I had a knack for it and apparently I was my nickname was the gun uh, which is getting things done getting uh, funds wow. uh, getting sponsors and so yeah uh, it's, it has been a journey and I'm extremely proud of my team uh, currently, we have a executive committee members made up of French, Canadian, Dutch, Australian, South African, you know, Asians. And so uh, it's starting to look more like a United Nations. <laughs> <laughs> That's real United Nations, right? 
Um, I, I, I love I love the, the the spectrum of of your your career and I would say maybe your life, right? Like how you get started, why you get started, and so on. And we'll talk a little about you know that economic crisis and and which is which mm. you say very similar to where we are we are right now. We we'll talk a little yes. bit about that, but I wanted to talk a lot a bit more about your personal journey, like you know taking that PhD um, and taking that risk to 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 succeed your 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 dad's business. All these things are you know, tough choices, right? Um, um, actually, I, I didn't succeed my dad's business. I started my own business. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. You, you started your own business. <laughs> you might business, have to edit that out. But you have to, yeah. yeah, you came back to Singapore, right? That's what I was trying to say. You came back to Singapore because... Yes, yes. I came back to Singapore because of his health condition. Yes. Yeah. So how was that for you, right? Like going through changes in that sense, as well as when when you are you know, uncertain mm-hmm. about things, what are the mindset that, that, was, that you were going through back then that kind of helped you to pull through and succeed in what you do? Right, I think it wasn't so much about, um, I think it was more about taking the risk because anything in the future was going to be better than what happened in the past. Uh, without going into too much detail, I, I was basically not very happy with my previous job. I love teaching. I love uh, doing research. I, I've always been very curious um, uh, and I like this intellectual pursuit. The only thing I didn't like was the politics that went around with this whole academic um, circle. And so I thought uh, I could be better used or I could be better developed as a person and a professional if I go out there and really apply all these work and all these theories and all this research into real life. And it was more about, look, there was nothing to go back on. <laughs> it was a global economic crisis. And, you know, um, you know, my father was a bit worried as well. He has always been very supportive of me. But even then he was like, are you sure you want to give up that tenureship? Because it, it, it takes a long time for some people to get it. And I wasn't taking things for granted. It's just that I feel in my gut that I really want to do this. I have to do this for myself. And I might as well just do it then. And even back then, I thought it was too late. I was too old to be an entrepreneur or, or whatever. But I did it anyway. And I, I think it wasn't easy. Uh, but I was very fortunate. I think it's important that when you're taking a big risk like that, you consult as many people as possible. And of course, these people will give you all sorts of advice because they love you, because they care about you. But in the end, you have to make that big step. You have to jump in and say, yep, this is what I really want to do. And for me, it was about empowerment. It was about um, doing something that is tangible because academia could be a bit theoretical sometimes. And I wanted to be able to to apply what I learned in the industry. And so that was the, uh, the drive. <laughs> I, so, so, so then when you took that risk, right? Like, I mean, that, that mm. one thing that I learned uh, over running this podcast and talking to a lot of people, it's that, you know, a lot of us, some, most of the time when we have to take that risk, I, I like your quote, by the way, like, you know, mm-hmm. like when you take the risk and do something for the future, it will always be better than where we are right now. Right, so that that's that's kind of really true, um, but it was it's taking. It's a bit risk. scary. Yeah. So how do you kind of yes. change the way you think 
uh, you know, when it is so scary and when you probably have, we all have that fear at the back of our head or possibly also naysayers around us. It's like, it's economic crisis. Yes. Everything can happen. And people will say, just get a you know, stable job and, and so on and so forth. So how do you change that mentality? Um, I think, to be honest, people have to be a little bit uncomfortable. You have to have something to lose. You know, if you're too comfortable, it's, um, it's too easy. It is very unlikely that people wanted to um, shake that status quo. So a little bit of discomfort is actually good for human beings. And, and also fear, feel the fear, but do it anyway. And push yourself. Because once you, you know that you have nothing to fall back, you have nothing to go back to. You will do everything you can to move forward. And I think human, as human beings, we are naturally very creative and we're very resourceful when we're desperate <laughs> or when we, are, um, when we are at this you know, crossroad where it's now or never. I think sometimes it is important to put us or put ourselves in that position. Otherwise, there's just no impetus for us to change, to do things differently or uh, to move forward. I, I, I love what you say. Human beings are generally very resourceful when yes. you're desperate, right? That's, that's what, <laughs> I think that's what pushes yes. human evolution. That's what really pushes people to do whatever it takes to succeed yes, and, correct. And, and, and be successful. Yeah. So, yeah. so it seems like in it, from your story that you, know, you, you have a couple of things that you know clearly right from the offset that, that's what you want to do, right? Like, for example, you, you, you jump into the PhD in a way because you wanted to. Uh, and then after that, you know, you, you took that risk of starting the business because at the same time, you're also clear that, you know, I don't like my job. So this is what I want. So I'm going to go and do it anyway, even though it's scary, even though if it's, it's, a, it's a global economic crisis and so on. How do you get that clarity? Mm -hmm. Well, I mentioned about this in uh, some of uh, the videos that I, I did for leadership. And I think it's important to stay focused and it's important to meditate. So do any sort of exercises, any sort of um, activity that would help your brain focus. I think it's even harder now than, say, 20 years ago, mainly because we are just bombarded with information all the time. We are addicted to our mobile phone. And so I think it's important to have that space to think clearly. And um, you, can, you can consolidate all the advice that you got from people. But at the end of the day, you have to really listen to what's inside. So is, does that mean trusting the intuition? Yes, yes. You have to trust your gut feeling. And um, yeah, you just have to. I think there's always this nagging thought in your head. If you're not happy with your uh, status quo, uh, what is it? And most of the time we already have that answer. It's just that it was easier or it is a lot easier to look away or to find ourselves the next distraction. So having that clear mind and being able to listen is so important. And I find that the meditation helped. Yeah. Wow. So you, you have practiced meditation way before it is kind of like a hype right now. Uh, it's been around for a long time, but I have yep, to sure. say it's not easy. It's not easy to meditate. <laughs> for people like us, you know, where brains are always ticking. I think it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a good discipline. 
Now, now, now staying focused, it's, it's a good start, but a lot of like, you know, I, I love that you talk about that because um, a lot of work that I do and we do in, in my company in coaching is that we help young professionals to get clarity about what they want in their life. Right. And it's, mm. it's all about, you know, when you are, when you, when you think about it, when you reflect upon it, you set something that you really want to do and then pursue it anyway. Right. But the challenge with a right. lot of people that I've coached and a lot of people that come to me for coaching is it's that, you know, they are just unsure about what they want. Right. Mm. And you have personally mm. experienced mentoring young women and, 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 you know, speaking to a lot of different people as well. So how, what would your advice be to, to people uh, who, who are looking to get clarity about what they want to do in their life or what they want to pursue in their life? Mm. Mm. I think it's important to weigh out everything. Um, I, I think everyone has a different process. Some people speak to their mentors. I think it's important. And if say, for example, if you're lucky to have a life coach like yourself, speak to a life coach. Sometimes we do need guidance and no one can do this alone. I was very fortunate. I have mentors who could guide me, who could help me. And um, it's also important to, you know, I don't know. I think as entrepreneurs, we've always been the kind of people who work against or go against the grain. I think it's not everybody's cup of tea. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's in the DNA or uh, if it's, <laughs> if it's um, you know, just fear or courage or, or the fact that, um, you know, you can see people around you. I think it's so important to be around people who think like you. Right. So when you go out there and you say, for example, you want to be an entrepreneur, then you go talk to people or you attend courses or you attend forums where entrepreneur speaks of their journey. When you do that, you realize you're not the only one. And so once you can find that clique or that tribe, it makes it a lot easier for you to move forward because you know that you're not alone. Mm. Um, other things, uh, I mean, you can do all the research you want in the world. That's also another thing. You can read up a lot of books on how to be an entrepreneur. Or you could read up about you know your own expertise you know your you become a content expert in your area and you want to come out and be a consultant yourself or just uh, start a business in I don't know photography or um, uh, writing but at the end of the day you can read all you want you still have to act <laughs> and so it's important to make small little steps of success try something out uh, and then um, champion yourself to move forward learn from others and then expand. So, you know, taking it at baby steps, but you've got, just got to do something. And if you don't, then it will just be just a, a fantasy or an ideal. <laughs> that's, that's a perfect way to put it. I totally like it. And, and another thing is that we, we, we know all these things, right? We, we kind of talk to mentors, we get clarity. One challenge that a lot of people have, it's actually then taking the next step, having that confidence to, to take that first step, having that confidence to take that first leap uh, to get to where you want to be, right? And one thing that, that I, I was really impressed when I, when I met you for the first time, it's your calmness, your composure, and your confidence. Like the way you speak, the way you talk, the way you relate to people, you just have that confidence in you. Um, is this something that it's born? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Is this something that you're already confident since you were young? If not, then, you know, how do you get there? And what are some of the advice to our listeners to be able to build that self-confidence? 
you're very kind uh, because obviously you don't know what's going inside here. <laughs> Usually before I go up on the stage, a thousand things go through my head and um, yeah, it can go from, would I remember this to how am I going to structure this? Or, you know, I usually have really thick speaking notes and then I just throw it out the window, go out there and just kind of wing it. <laughs> um, there is a process, I, I think. Um, mine is to always give yourself a little bit of space. If you're talking about public speaking, then you need to give yourself maybe about three minutes to collect yourself. Um, out of that whole busy schedule because you'll probably be chauffeuring from one end to the end to, to the next spot. You'll be, you know, you will be ushered by people onto the stage, waiting behind the stage. So many things can happen. And so, um, and, and sometimes, you know, if it's a production or anything, things can always go wrong. So what I normally do is I give myself three minutes to collect myself. And you do have to, tell yourself that everything is going to be fine. You're going to think tall. You're going to um, think big and everything will be okay. So just give yourself that three minutes to collect yourself and your, your brain will do all the work for you. You just got to trust the brain. You just got to be confident that everything that you research is going to come out. And it always does. It's not easy, especially if you haven't practiced public speaking again, that can always be improved. Um, I, didn't, I didn't go on to the public to speak naturally like this from the very start. Uh, it was kind of daunting walking into a lecture hall, 300 students staring at you. And uh, my first experience was I had to take off my glasses just so that I don't see their faces. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've moved on from there. And I think, um, yeah, there are many, many tricks that you can use nowadays uh, to get yourself calmed down. And I think also because my mentors have always been very good role models. They are amazing, like internally and externally. You know, I have different mentors for um, a different situation. There wow. was one mentor, he's German, he's a professor, and he's always been very good at presenting in the public and he's a very good speaker very engaging and then the other mentor that i have he's like a peer you know he's always very good at cultivating internally and getting me my intuition and um, basically you know um, remember you know remind me always about my values why am i doing this so this is also another thing that people can uh, can use this is also one of the tools uh, doing that three minute self-reflection you can ask yourself why are you doing this why are you doing this for and if it's truly there to inspire a, a room full of young people or you believe by doing this you're going to empower someone to be economically independent or you're going to empower someone to walk out of a unhappy relationship with their boss or with a relationship with their husbands or, 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 or spouses then yes then you, you know that what you're doing is a, the right thing and i think that drives people and people can see that you have this uh, this passion and I think, uh, you know, you, you may not say the perfect thing, you may not remember the right thing, but people can always feel those passions. So <laughs> and that, I think that's that, important. That tips on public speaking, it's, 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 it's amazing. But I just want to pick on one thing that you were mentioning about just now, which is the remembering why you do it, right? And I think mm. this is so very much, you know, important for us in, in, in our life. 
Because mm. another thing about confidence is that a lot of people don't take action. Like you said, you can do your research, you can talk, you can think, keep on thinking about it for years and years and years. But if you don't take that action, uh, nothing's going to happen. And yeah. lot, the reason why a lot of people don't take that action is because they don't have the confidence in themselves to do it. Yeah. Right? So having that why gives people that mm. bigger motivation to, to, to do it. And Correct. If, if, if you could look back uh, into your life right now, right? Like what, mm. what, what would be one or two advice that you would give to your younger self? Well, think less about what I'll think of you. <laughs> Seriously, I think when we were young, uh, when we were in our teens or when we were in our 20s, we were just so keen on pleasing others. You know, we, we are so concerned about how people think of us when in fact you really should just think about yourself. Yeah, it's important that, yes, we live in a social structure where people's opinion do matter sometimes and... Um, particularly in Asia, it is so important because we're a very conformist society. But at the end of the day, um, everyone is busy with their own lives. So just care about what matters to you, what makes you happy. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I, I love that because I, I have a quote, um, not to sure if it's mine or I read it somewhere, is that, you know, we, all of us are so busy thinking about what other people will think about us. Um, yeah. but the fact is that everyone else is so busy thinking about what other people would think about them that they yeah. actually don't have time to think anything about us. Yeah. In, in fact, this is what I, I found as well, um, with a lot of young people nowadays, apart from housing and employment issues, they really feel that social media and mental health is a big, big thing for them. And um, we are actually witnessing a lot of these young people having uh, to struggle with how they manage them, their image and how they present themselves uh, in, in social media. So some of these young people complain that, look, you know, I, I really don't feel like I should post anything uh, every minute of my life to people, but I'm being judged for posting. And for post. Um, they are worried, you know, is this post going to be boring? Am I unattractive? It's damn if you do, damn if you don't. And, yep. you know, when I'm up uh, in the 80s and, and 70s, I'm giving out my age, um, you know, we don't have this pressure. I mean, of course, there's always some level of, you know, comparison, social comparison is a, is a real thing. Uh, you think you're happy until you see how others are getting and then you feel like you're getting the short end of the stick. Uh, obviously, some people would use that as a drive to go out there to achieve things for themselves. But in, in, a, in a negative way, it causes a lot of envy. It causes a lot of negative things like hate, anger, jealousy. And all these are not very productive sort of emotions. So I think um, I'm not trying to say that the young people here uh, today are getting it harder, but I, I do believe that they're suffering from all this uh, social media and having to keep up with the Jones sort of image. So I think it's extremely hard. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad that you actually brought it up uh, because, you know, when I, I know you've been working on a lot of nonprofit. You, you do a lot of things in different, different areas, mm -hmm. but two things that I really, really want to look at, but, in our conversation today that you brought it up. Number one, it's mental health. And number two, it's women empowerment, right? 
And when you talk about mental health, and yes. I, I, I really think that what you said hits, you know, really hits, hits home because it's really prevalent. It's all around us and it's affecting a lot of people. Now, when you see this phenomenon, when you see mm. that this is happening, what is some of your advice? Like, I mean, to be mm. fair, it's, we, can let, we should lessen our use of social media, but that thought is still lingering. It's just a very mm. natural thing in a way that's happening in our brain when we use mm. you know, social media, technology, whatever. What mm. would your advice be mm. to, to young people out there who are having all these thoughts and this kind of pressure? Um. I'm not sure if I'm qualified to give any advice to anyone who is like 20 years younger than me, <laughs> but uh, I, I could, I could uh, advise as an, an adult um, uh, that I think it's so important to understand yourself. It's so important to value yourself. Take away all the, strip away all the digital devices, strip away all that, um, uh, that, that social media platforms. Um, ask yourself, who are you about? What do you want to achieve in life? And then you can use those social media and those digital platforms as a tool. It is not representative of you. I think it's, um, it's awful that people think that what they present to the world uh, is going to bring them, I don't know, any sort of envy or followers and so on. You're chasing the wrong thing. It's just, it's just the same as before we had all these social media you know, um, someone chasing after a brand or someone chasing after a particular um, a vehicle or, or, or some look. Again, it's, it's very superficial and it might just give you some sort of joy for a short while, but we all know that it, it never lasts, you know, because the next person could get the better brand, could get a bigger house, could get a drive, you know, could drive a, a nicer car and that's it. You're going to go back to square one again and so it's the same thing with social media i think you need to understand who you are what sort of value you can provide to the society or your community or your family and and go back to the core i think it's so important to have to surround yourself with people who will tell you honest things you know uh, if you are starting to you know behave like a brat then people need to tell you <laughs> and if you if you if you start to you know um if, if you start to do things in a unproductive way or in a superficial way you need your friends to say hey dude you know <laughs> you know people who really you need you need people who really know you to kind of tell Absolutely. you that, right yeah this is not you like you don't need this and you know i also see a lot of my um a lot of people i know they they are very really down to the people but just for some strange reason i think again and this doesn't this is not just in this is not just something that is happening with the younger generation. You also see people in their forties and their fifties um, who are going towards, you know, doing this sort of thing where they feel like they need to show off. They feel that they need to present a certain side of their life to the public. And then, you know, they, they would ask you, why, why haven't you asked me how my life is? You know, I've been suffering. I've been having problems with my partners. And I was like, how would anyone know? because you just present a certain side of you. You're not calling me, you, we're not having coffee face to face. I think at the end of the day, the, the real human interaction, because if we were to just judge everyone's life or judge ourselves based on what image we put on our social media, it would be a really warped one. <laughs> it's not realistic and it's not real. Um, and I think so in the end, I think, you know, it's, it's so important to put down your mobile phones every now and then 
go to a party or go to a, a coffee session with your, your friends and just don't look at your phones and just interact with one another. I think, you know, that will give you that sense of realness. I think that that is more important than, you know, I've seen people go to cafes and all they do is they stare at their phones. Oh, yeah. That is the weirdest phenomenon I've ever seen. But anyway, yeah. So I guess one of your biggest advice and takeaway here is that, you know, I, it, I mean, it's not like the scientific approach or way to, to manage the mental health that is, that's associated with usage of social media, self-esteem and so on. But the mm. key, one of the key takeaways is that social connection. It's that really actually connecting rather than using social media as a form of connection, right? Of course, obviously yes, technology helps. That's how we are talking yes. right now. Correct. Use not- technology as a tool, yeah, rather than your own. Uh, use use technology as a tool. It is not your own self identity. I think people need to separate that. It's it's two very different things for two different purposes. Yes. So you know your your own identity for yourself should be based on your own values. Should be based on uh, what you want to do with your life, what you're passionate about. And the, the, the technology is right there to amplify that, amplify your passion, amplify your values, amplify your drive and the things that you want to do. If, say, for example, you haven't focused internally on your own identity, on what your values are, and you go out there and use this technology, you'll just be an empty shell. So, yeah, that's, that's the only advice I can I love I can it. Give. You brought up another great point, which is on self-identity, sure. right? Yes. And then, yes. like you said, if you don't have that self-identity that's, strongly bonded by your value your core so when you use all this social media and technology when you go out Mm. you are being shaped by others that's why then you have that all this kind of negative thoughts and and behaviors and so on and so forth so i I really love that 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 point and so touching on your 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 social work and some of the work that you do on a non-profit basis on women empowerment right and i would love to use this platform to to list to maybe to get you to share you know what is your your advice or what is your thoughts or maybe a message that you want to share with all our listeners men and women about about women empowerment i mean this whole topic it's huge it's big and there are a lot of people talking about it i would love to hear from you sure so it I mean, everyone has their own story. And the story I want to share is, uh, I grew up in Singapore. I was born there. And as I was growing up, I was like a real tomboy. Um, I never thought I was any less or any better than the boys. But consistently, I kept hearing people said that, you know, you're supposed to serve men. You're supposed to be seen but not heard. Um, You can't do this. You can't go out and do sports. You can't, you know, and... You know, I will wake up with my brother, but I have to make his bed. He eats, I have to wash his plates. He gets beaten up in school, I get punished. <laughs> and, and, you know, I also hear very often, you know, people tell me that um, girls are like a bucket of water. I, I didn't understand what that means. It means when you throw out the bucket of water, you can't take it back. So women are like a bucket of water. If we married up, that's it. We're someone else's property. I think we're better than just properties. And um, when I was growing up, I had this classmate. Uh, she, she was brilliant in class. She's smart. She's a joyful girl. And uh, on one occasion, her father was hurt in a construction site. 
And so the family went into some financial crisis and the family could then only send one child to the university. She is as smart as her brother and she's as curious and wanting to learn as much as her brother. But with the opportunity to send one child to the university, um, obviously the money went to the brother. And um, she had to then quit high school, work as a secretary uh, for someone. And um, when she's in her late 20s, really pregnant, that's where her company sent her to university to study. And even when she was studying at that, in, in the university in Singapore, she was judged by people because she was pregnant. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I just feel like, uh, again, you know, it's a lot better now, but you, if you look at the figures and you look at the statistics, um, yeah, women are still getting the short end of the stick. So um, gender pay gap is a big issue. So women are being paid 30% less than men. So when you do that over time um, with their whole entire career and their working life, by the end of that working life, women are getting a lot less with their superannuation. I don't know what you call it in Malaysia. It's like a, in Singapore, it's called CPF, mainly because uh, if, you, if you get paid less, your contribution will be a lot less. And so, yeah. uh, and, and just looking at this current crisis now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if you look at the crisis now, um, more than 70% of the frontline workers in the hospital, in the healthcare are women. And, uh, when you, and yet, when you look at the uh, retrenchment, Currently, globally, we're going through uh, one of the highest unemployment rates since the 1980s. And the first people to go are always the women. And so um, not only are we, you know, being treated uh, unfairly in in the good times when, when we are going through a bad time, you know, a lot of women do lose their job. And yet we have to do a lot of care at home. We have to take care of the elders, take care of the sick. And so all that are unpaid work. And, um, you know, I, I just feel that we've come a long way and uh, things have changed. I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely someone who is very lucky. And I feel that it's, I'm fortunate to be a woman today than say 20 years ago or 40 years ago compared to our parents and our grandparents. Having said that, there's still a lot to go, uh, a long way to go. As we speak, Iceland is the only country in the world now that makes gender pay gap illegal. So it's not, it's not like there isn't a model available. It's not that you know, you know, such measures are, are not available. It's still kicking and alive. We just have to learn. Um, in, in some of the countries, they made sure that women gets into parliament uh, and, and again, you know, onto boards as well. Uh, studies have also proven that when you have more than 30% of women in your board, your sales increase by 60%, your, your uh, equity, invested equity increased by 40%, um, and, and, and all these performances come out. And if you're looking at the startup community, uh, if you hire, or, or sorry, sorry, if you invest in a woman uh, or a startup company started by women, you're going to get your returns a lot higher than men as well. Because you know, wow. again, you know, women are 60% return, actually. Um, if you're looking at investment as in shares or stocks, um, again, women outperform men in, in the long term. In, a, in the short term, you know, it, it, you know, maybe the men would do really well, but they also lose big. So there are so many things that we can complement men 
And we can't do this ourselves. And I'm, I'm still very Asian in, in some ways, like yin and yang. I mean, I think our roles are no better or less than men. We're there to complement each other and we, we can definitely learn a lot from men. And I, I think gender equality is not just good for women. It is also good for men. I mean, how, how often do you hear a man, you know, feeling really stressed? There's, so, there's such high suicide rate for men in their 50s and even, you know, in the younger selves, mainly because the society puts so much pressure on the man to perform, yeah. to achieve, to be the breadwinner. I think a lot of men agree that um, gender pay gap is, is, is terrible. They would like their female counterparts to earn the same amount of them, especially if they do the same amount of work. I think even for husbands, they, they really feel that it would relieve them of all the stress. In fact, not all men are made for um, high achieving. Some men are really happy to stay at home, yeah. take care of their kids and see their kids grow, right? If the society doesn't judge them, you see a lot more happy family, a lot more um, family units, parenting and, and all that. So I think it's not just a, a good thing for women, it's also a good thing for men, which is also the reason why we need male champions like yourself, you know, to, to come out and to show younger people that this is possible. You know, and so if one day this guy said, yeah, I'm quite happy to stay at home because my wife earns a really good pay and she's quite happy with the job, why not? Totally. I mean, I, 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 I totally oh, and also for, and, and also, and also, and also for younger, younger men. And I, I'm starting to see this happening a lot more now. Um, they are less afraid of working for female bosses, which is also very good because according to a study, and this is a fact, um, in Harvard, they did a study. They said that if you're a, if you're a, a, a man and if you have a, uh, and if you, if you have a boss, if you have a boss who is a female, uh, the likelihood of her sponsoring you or helping you to get promotion is a lot higher. Oh, wow. That is so, you know, look out for female bosses. If you can. Yeah. Wow, love so it. they will negotiate for you higher pay, better, um, uh, better position. Yeah. Wow, totally. Um, that's great insight. And, and, and that's the reason why I want you to share about your view on this because there's just so many people and just so many noise about women empowerment. I mean, I know there are a lot of people talking about it in different ways, but you kind of really give the numbers that show men and, mm. and, and just people that, you know, it is, it is not trying to be, mm. I mean, I, I, I think it's more I I inclusivity, trying to make sure that men and women mm. are able to work well together and complement each other sure. rather than the whole sure. thing of probably like just trying to be equal, right? I, I don't know. For yeah. me, I so, think so this can be better. Yeah, so this is also another thing. I wouldn't appeal to businesses to do it for the sake of being equal, right? Although I think quotas are necessary because in some countries, if you don't have any quotas, women will never be able to go in. And for a lot of younger women, you can't be it unless you see it. The way I would promote it to businesses is that, look, just look at the figures. Just look at the bottom line. Everyone can agree with the bottom line. If by having more women on boards or if by empowering more women to the executive level, you are going to do better. Your shareholders are going to be happier um, and you, you're just going to perform heaps better. Then why not? Yeah, I mean, totally. don't know. I mean, I, I've given up appealing to people based on equality. I think it's important, but um, you know, that's not the, that's not the direction you want to go when you're speaking to people who only care about bottom line. 
So I did a presentation at Harvard Business School about women in leadership. And at the end of that talk, I had this guy from Midwest. He came up to me and he said, well, do you mind sharing those figures with me? Because I wanted to bring it to my board. And they come from a, a really conservative part of America yeah, where the boards are just 100% men. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, one step at a time. Yeah. Perfect. Love it. So much, so much information from, from you, Sandy. I wish we can talk more about this, but I'm really, really, you know, grateful for having you here with us today on the Life Insider Show. And and thank you so much. And one more last thing before we go, it's that if our listeners want to hear more from yeah. you, want to connect with you, what is the best way and what is the best channel to look up to to look for you? Well, you can always drop me an email. Uh, I, I'm sure you would publish that and then yep. share it with everyone. Um, otherwise, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Uh, so Dr. Sandy Chong, and you should be able to see the work that I do. And if you have any ideas on collaboration or if you have any amazing stories that you want to share based on what I have spoken about, uh, please feel free to drop me a note. Beautiful. Thank, Thank you, you so Kathy. much. Thank you so much, Sandy. So for all of you who are listening right now, we would love to hear what you think about this episode. What's your biggest takeaway from this episode from with Sandy? Uh, leave your comments on my Instagram at Coach Carfe or leave a review and share, share this podcast episode with your community. Till then, friends, thank you for letting me walk with you on your journey towards your success. I'm Coach Carfe and I'll see you next time.